Americans have no laws in terms of tech companies. It's a free-for-all, laissez-faire kind of a thing. The Europeans already have protected their citizens. So the Europeans get privacy, but we in the developing world are like fair game for everything. Our governments haven't protected us because they are still figuring out whether they want to monetize our data for their benefit and they want to censor us. And then there are these companies who think there is just no respect for all of this work. Hello everybody and welcome to Pretty Good Podcast, Digital Rights in the Asia-Pacific with Engage Media. I am Red. I'm Sarah and on today's episode, we want to take the opportunity to reflect on the different events that have happened in the at the end of 2020 and what's happening in 2021 from the banning of Trump on Twitter, on Facebook and Twitter and other social media platforms to WhatsApp privacy policy changes, and closer to home, what is happening in Myanmar with the military shutdown of social media platforms and the internet and the widespread protests happening there. And as with COVID-19 and the way it affects the entire world, the digital rights landscape is in a similar way. The big tech platforms in the United States and what happens sets the precedent for other countries. And part of what we're trying to do in the Asia-Pacific is make sure that uh, our people are part of those conversations. And our guest is situated perfectly to do just that, um, having one foot in New York and one foot in uh, New Delhi. So please look forward to this conversation with Mishi Choudhury. On today's episode of Pretty Good Podcast, we're joined by Mishi Choudhury, the founder of the Software Freedom Law Center based in India, and is also a technology lawyer working both in New York and New Delhi. Hi, Mishi. Thanks for joining. Hey, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Mishi, could you start off with just an intro of what exactly you're doing with the SFLC and also what you're currently working on right now? Sure. So... I started uh, Software Freedom Law Center in India to mostly serve the free and open source software community. Um, and uh, But obviously the community, which is very well tuned in India to, to the political philosophy behind why we should have control over our technology, then told us that internet freedom is not possible without software freedom. So then we expanded our work to do a lot of work in digital rights and freedoms. And um, so now the Software Freedom Law Center, in addition to serving the free and open source software community on various matters, um, also does um, a lot of um, issues which impact free speech and expression online, privacy, um, data protection, access, and everything which you read in the newspapers or uh, uh, or on social media, uh, what is wrong with our current digital lives um, and how uh, citizens can be protected. Um, so uh, we are the defenders of uh, digital freedoms and we put people in the center and uh, would like people to have the control over their technology 
um, and uh, in uh, pursuance of that, we do a lot of things. We track shutdowns, we uh, talk about censorship, we ensure that there is open data, open source um, being used by the government when taxpayers' money is involved, and a variety of other things. Um, and in my day job as a lawyer, um, my law practice is in New York, um, but also in New Delhi, but mostly in New York. I serve uh, technology companies um, and I represent a lot of free and open source software projects um, for uh, whatever they need. Um, uh, we are the general um, council equivalence office where they come up for all needs from start to the end. Wow, that's a lot of work that you are doing. And with the emergence of the need for these online platforms, I'm sure you're busier than ever. And when you mentioned, <laughs> you, you mentioned something about freedom of expression, and I'm reminded of a 2017 MozFest talk that you gave like mm -hmm. what happened to the internet. And I think you said, you asked rather a, a quite prophetic question there. You asked, why aren't Facebook and Twitter blocking Donald Trump's account? <laughs> and of course, Twitter has already done that and Facebook in a, in a limited way. But you are working on um, issues where you are against the blocking of accounts, like, for example, what's happening in Twitter on India and um, on ruling 66A, that's also against censorship. So there's a balance mm -hmm. that you're trying to, to reach the sweet spot on. Can you tell us about all of these different things that go into the calculus of when you prioritize freedom of expression or the safety of the public and so on? Sure. Um, <clears throat> one should watch out what one says, right? Because the words <laughs> never leave and internet always remembers. <laughs> uh, but um, to say um, uh, it would be an understatement that we have been busy. We have been very, very busy, especially during COVID times, because we were also working um, a lot about ensuring privacy when uh, contact tracing apps have been launched or uh, they have been made mandatory without any safeguards about what data has been collected, and especially because this is sensitive health information. Uh, in addition to all the issues that you mentioned, um, you can tell how bad my judgment is that I, um, although chose two big democracies, um, uh, uh, yet uh, two countries where all of these issues have come to a hold. So I was born in India, then I live in the U.S., um, and uh, uh, both the countries have had very, very interesting times, to say the least. But um, um, I, I don't think that our success is um, some is not my success. It's a team success. I have excellent, excellent, very uh, motivated young people. Um, they teach me and then they also keep me relevant um, every day. So um, SFLC success is very much about the young people who are a part of their team. Um, and of course, uh, people who support us. Um, so going back to, um, I have never thought there are balances. Um, it is a very difficult thing for me to um, get that path of the golden mean. Because I think when you work on rights, um, then it is pretty clear um, that um, there is black and white and not gray areas. Gray areas are the ones who want to enforce, uh, not enforce rights or uh, have a very different view of where people go. 
Um, so um, you're absolutely right. Um, I do work on the fact that um, we resist censorship, taking down of apps, taking down of people's con uh, uh, handles or accounts, etc. Um, uh, especially today when the platforms provide um, such an unprecedented uh, microphone for one to speak to the many, which was so much in the past being controlled by very few people. Um, and we have seen what are the great things it can bring in the world from exposing things which people couldn't earlier talk about, from just finding communities for people. Um, but we've also uh, can't ignore that surveillance is the business model of the current internet. And when surveillance is the business model, then you need to collect a lot more data, behavioral data. How do I behave? How do I react on a certain thing? What do I do? Everything is important to a platform. Uh, whether I'm angry, whether I am a complete nut job or uh, in my beliefs about conspiracy theories or I have political, I, no matter which spectrum I belong to on the political spectrum, on any other thing, there is nothing which is irrelevant for the platforms who are collecting that data, building a profile, and then ensuring that something which is called very benign, oh, it's only advertising, oh, it's only metadata, it doesn't really matter. All of that is important to the platform and its collection is dangerous to the users. And when that is the motivating factor, then obviously dangerous things also, speech which can be dangerous, or platforms misused by actors whose mal malice is proven or at least is evident from what we are watching um, <clears throat> and is continuing, also continues to be very profitable for the platforms. That is the reason, despite the disinformation, the misinformation, the use of platforms by political leaders also to incite violence, which would be a major issue for anybody else. Um, and if we were determining in courts also, it would be an issue. Never became a problem for the platform to take down these uh, handles. And I, uh, unlike the others, think that uh, the public leaders have far more responsibility than what is asked of us as citizens. But somehow the standard applied by the platforms is completely different. So I still stand by it. I don't think that uh, regular people's accounts can be taken down. Our pages can be removed without transparency, without clarifying to us why something is being done and without giving us recourse. Because we are the people who don't have the wherewithal uh, to actually fight such a thing. But public authorities, by the nature of their job, owe it to the people they are serving. So they need to be held to a higher standard. But what has happened is it the other way around. Because they were creating so much of behavior of other people and so much engagement, and it is good for whether it is Twitter, whether it is Facebook, because the more people are on their platforms, the more they are talking, the better profiles they can build and the more money they can make. And I think that motivation cannot be um, extricated from how we understand content. 
and um, uh, so red uh, still trying um, uh, to figure out where all of this leads but um, i don't think there's a sweet spot here where we can balance and everybody can be happy uh, mishi i just wanted to jump in on you were talking about the collection of data and how this surveillance is part of the how platforms make money and their monetization uh, i just want you've also been very vocal about the changes in the whatsapp privacy policy and mm-hmm. how this uh change in the policy and how it is now going to be sharing data with whatsapp data is going to be shared with facebook has motivated people to move away from whatsapp or to express concerns could you talk more about your stance on that issue and perhaps what then are the next steps for us the citizens sure um uh, so um whatsapp is an interesting thing um it's it, the largest market for whatsapp is india it has become a very integral part of not only our regular life in india but also our political life in india because um, indian political parties um, much earlier than the rest of the world figured out the power of um, messaging direct messaging which is tailored to everybody and also the power of whatsapp groups and forwards unfortunately uh, social media including private uh, not social media but also private messaging services have been used and weaponized for spreading a lot of misinformation and disinformation based on which side you are talking to and that i believe is true for a lot of our countries in southeast asia now um, whatsapp Uh, was uh, one of those products which uh, uh, at least um, decided to uh, work with signal and implement the end to end encryption which um, uh, maxi marlin spike was using in signal which is a great thing which means the content of the message really was encrypted so that's a product um, which i was still okay i don't have a facebook account i don't use instagram um, but i was okay because most of uh, my family and friends uh, who are in india do use whatsapp now i just hope um, that uh, mr zuckerberg has more sense of humor than he publicly shows uh, because uh, <laughs> i think only um, this is very ironic the way they have uh, now how he has started this self destructive storm which is ravaging the empire mr zuckerberg has built uh, which is good because uh, once you do uh, come clean about what you have been doing and the young people understand that um uh, in today's world uh, privacy which is a luxury afforded to the rich european countries is something which they also want and just because we are in the developing part of the world somehow that uh, luxurious thing about privacy in the name of either that we have nothing to hide or oh poor people don't care about privacy because we are poor people from their perspective um is no longer true and uh, what started with the change in the whatsapp policy and which is very very fascinating to me was that everybody did say and uh, sorry um everybody did say that uh, oh there is no change uh, yeah that's true uh, and uh, whatsapp said oh we are not able to read your messages nobody can yes that's also true uh but that's the beauty of facebook 
because there's a lot of kernel of there's a kernel of truth and then there's a lot of misleading things which go around it and that has been the modus operandi for ever and also the thing is mr zuckerberg has rightly figured out and i keep pointing out to him is not because at least in this company the largest power in terms of shares is also held by him and he is the decision maker unlike many of the listed companies i can't hold that okay it's the company which is a problem now facebook as i said as it says is not proposing to share the content of facebook of whatsapp chats with facebook it can't because whatsapp has no access to the content of the messages on its own system because they are using end to end encryption but whatsapp is not even proposing to begin sharing because it has been doing it all along in 2016 for a brief period for 30 days or so some of us had this option to opt out oh i don't want my data to be shared with anybody so i opted out but if you were not a user of whatsapp and you forgot to opt out then that data sharing has already been going on now what has happened and i think that's why it is really really interesting that uh, for me as an open source person android which comes out of the open source community became the more attractive device when this was happening also because uh, i could run fdroid i could run various applications which i like and i can um, i don't like ads um so uh, when i can run a free software application then my phone does not show me any ad and when somebody else shows me something on their phone and i'm constantly disturbed how can they live with all these ads but on an android phone obviously you can do a lot of it um and where i'm getting with this point is that um but there was a world of apple which to me because as an open source person was oh it's a closed world i can't control that device at least at at, at all uh, but what has happened is that company has decided that because they don't make money by selling data of its users they are going in the privacy business they are making money by selling us jewelry all these fancy very expensive devices um and uh, which we all like whether it is in our ears or whether we are carrying it's a luxury item and everybody loves it and they are the richest company in the world they know that that's where they are making money they are not selling my data so is wouldn't it be nice to be in the privacy values business and to uh, true to his word mr cook has decided that privacy is an important thing to him so then he introduces the privacy labels for all apps like nutrition labels we have so uh, red mentioned my mars fest uh, talk and i have been mentioning about nutrition labels for a very long time not that mr cook listens to me but there are very smart people who work for him so um uh, so like we buy things we want to see what is in our food uh, he has decided people should see what are in these uh, apps also and uh, now everything in the app store has to tell you what data it collects where is the data sharing happening and that's where the problem between facebook and um, uh, whatsapp and apple started and now you can also imagine facebook has to come very clean and very clear about simple nutrition labels no longer can they hide behind the legal jargon 
of terms and conditions which nobody reads we all scroll through i accept i accept who reads it who has the time and honestly people like me who are lawyers are paid to write them and make them even more difficult for you to understand <laughs> so so um so now uh, when you have to market clearly carbohydrates 50 grams fat 20 grams uh so similarly who am i sharing all my data with uh now of course then facebook loses it and now they have to come clean but because the europeans are smarter about all of this they already have an overarching law they have no innovation they have no real companies and they can't be china that they can't close their market they have to do something americans have no laws in terms of tech companies it's a free for all lazarus fair kind of a thing so the europeans already have protected their citizens so obviously what's whatsapp facebook come and say oh yeah we are not doing this for european citizens but all of you are up for the grabs anyway this makes me feel a lot my father is a pharmaceuticals manufacturer so i have been very much an anti patent system for a very long time because india being the generic pharmaceuticals hub we saw how whether it was aids or any other even vaccines right now but us patent system never allowed the developing countries to do this and i used to wonder why we are the people who always suffer uh, and obviously clinical trials happen in our countries and i'm like wow this is great so the europeans get privacy but we in the developing world are like fair game for everything our governments haven't protected us because they are still figuring out whether they want to monetize our data for their benefit and they want to censor us and then there are these companies uh, who think there is just no um, respect for all of this work um and that's why my view is obviously that um, uh, it's good that facebook has been forced to come clean uh, they should stop deflecting nobody has said anything about the content of the message they should stop this misleading campaign and spending money on a blitzkrieg of advertising um if they really wanted to be a private messaging service it should stay so uh, the data should not be shared and it should not be shared with even the businesses as they are saying that this is a change for business sorry that was a very long answer and long winded also <laughs> not at all not at all but i want to continue on your point apple in this story has um, taken upon itself like the parent role like telling people <laughs> privacy is a value and of of the foods you eat like here is how much privacy grams uh, daily nutritional allowance or whatever is in it right and this has been a trend in the big tech platforms where for example youtube and even facebook has disallowed misinformation about vaccines about neo nazis um, holocaust deniers and so on like the the platform them essentially so the big tech platforms are doing this which has forced the very conservative or extremist right wing to move to the open source uh, decentralized federated alternatives this happened with gab um, when it came to mastodon um, this happened with parler as well and this is this has become a trend now um, so what what do you think of this trend is it okay for the big tech platforms to say we'll take the role of the parent and enforce these values on all of our users while the truly open like no holds barred lazy fair kind of system is uh, pushed to the open source 
decentralized, federated platforms. Um, what what's your take on this picture that's developing right now? Sure, uh, great question. Uh, I don't think there are simple answers for this as well. Um, I would say that um, as a believer in decentralization, I've had a big problem with the centralization in these big tech platforms for a very long time. Uh, whether it is a, an email server or a chat server, people of people like us, uh, we're speaking on a platform like this, which is based out of XMPP and uh, various other such tech. I know it's not been it's been a lifelong thing that everybody can do. These are simple services. It's just that we have um, in in the open source world, one of the most important thing is freedom zero in the copyleft, as we say, which is the freedom to run the program for any purpose. Now, I know that a lot of people want to control my software should not be used by ICE to deport little children. My software should not be used for unethical things. Um, and but um, that is something which is now developing as a value system where a lot of people do want to go. And I'm seeing emergence of licenses which want an, uh, a clause which talks about this ethics or this morality that don't use my uh, software for a certain purpose. But that is not how open source, uh, free and open source movement, I should say, not just open source, developed. They wanted to give freedom to everybody to run it for any purpose they would like and for them to determine. That's why decentralization is very important for us. And that also helps break the monopoly or the oligopoly power of the big tech. Because right now, why are we always just talking about either the few American platforms, or if you're in China, whatever the government lets operate there, or in Iran, or in Russia, or, in very, or now we are all going through um, the race to the bottom, I would say, uh, because uh, everybody wants to control. So um, uh, so that decentralization will obviously lead to a lot of these services. And, um, uh, and so uh, I think we're choosing between options which are difficult options. And um, uh, when people will be allowed to communicate in private, we will have bad actors as well. I think those, um, those interests we've been trying to balance out for a very, very long time, and we don't have good answers for that. I don't have a clear answer for you to say encryption is bad, like uh, law enforcement wants to say. All encryption is bad. Um, we all want to give us back doors because we are law enforcement. We are the good people. Well, sorry, math doesn't work differently for good people and bad people because math is math. Um, um, it's hard uh, for some people. It's easy for some people, but math doesn't care. And um, uh, so, but I do like the freedom of people to be able to communicate with each other in the way where there is no interference by a government or any third party, this man in the middle attack, whether it is Mr. Zuckerberg or it is a government, both are problematic to me. And that's why my stance on those issues are pretty clear. Having said that, I'm not going to say that um, this is not going to lead into the kind of problems you are raising. There are going to be dark places. There are dark people who are going to do things which are wrong. I do think that uh, um, CSAM, which is the child uh, sexual abuse material, is a major issue. Um, I do think even um, uh, financial fraud, as it works for citizens, 
is a major problem of the internet. But we can't take a very blunt instrument and try to say we either want everything centralized or we want completely uh, to break encryption or these are all new things which are problematic. I may have a very different politics, but there are a lot of people whose politics is such which are, is not accepted by the mainstream. But I will also say one thing. This also tells you how this power of centralized companies has driven us to this place. The misinformation, disinformation is not new. And because you do this podcast for a lot of us in the part of the world, which has perhaps a very large number of the people's, uh, the uh, world's population, and also really smart young people. But in our part, uh, parts of the world, um, these conversations have not had the impact on these companies because somehow we were not important that time. We were only important for the feel-good stories. Oh, we are all open and connected. Let's show some people from our villages or our small towns or for diversity, and I would say for diversity's sake, let's just use their, these names or these faces because they look good for us. But the decisions will be made in Silicon Valley. When Low Park will make a decision, somebody else will make a decision, even the laws were different. So misinformation, disinformation, weaponization of these platforms by political parties has been going on in our countries, perhaps from 2011, 2012. Myanmar's problems are not new. And uh, WhatsApp lynchings in India are not new. And various other issues, whether it was Philippines to Tarte problems on drugs and how Facebook was being used, these are not new problems, but it was never serious enough until an American president starts to do exactly what we've been trying to tell them. So that tells you the power on these tech tables and why when we centralize, we run into more problems. And all these companies let this all run wild till the time. So Mr. Trump's account is taken down right at the very end when there is no political price to pay for Twitter. And now we've made a ton of money. Look at the revenues of Twitter in the last quarter. When Donald Trump's account take, is taken down, uh, Germany and France's leaders also come out and object to it. Although to note that France and Germany both have laws to take down content, which is much stricter than the US. But they say that this is, a, this is an uneasy trend because they would like democratic governments to have control. But all of us don't have democratic governments. And sometimes what is democratic ostensibly is authoritarian back home. Look at Russia. Uh, and um, so that's why I would say um, because just because there are dark parts of the net and this is going to sprout many flowers and many of these new platforms, I, I don't think we should abandon the uh, the quest for decentralization, which respects our privacy, uh, we still use and allow weapons and guns. We still use and allow phones. The roads and the cars are used by several criminals. I We still allow all of that because somehow the societies have decided that the benefits outweigh what some notorious malicious people will do. 
I think that gives us at least some idea and guidance how we should look at these things, because for thousands of years, our civilizations have decided such things, but there are no easy answers. And um, I'm not the extremist who says, okay, it has to be one way or the other. Um, again, Red, I'm not gone, going to find a balance here. Um, we will, I would always lean towards people protection and rights of the people, um, but I don't have an answer. Thanks for that, Mishi. I've been reflecting a lot on what you've been saying. And actually, the next question I wanted to ask you was exactly about us here in the Asia-Pacific region and in the developing countries where a lot of what we're, I guess, because we are not in the center, a lot of this tech is either in the U.S., now in China, and some of the uh, premier privacy laws are in Europe. And yet, there are a lot of these similar violations that have been actioned on upon in the U.S. or in Europe that perhaps here in the developing countries, we do not, we were not going to be afforded those. Or maybe I'm just being pessimistic that uh, when there's a lot of trend towards authoritarianism and other more serious uses of the social media platforms and this disinformation in the in our region maybe I, and so i just wanted to ask sorry i'm a little it's uh it's a lot to reflect on but i was just wondering what about us in the region can we expect to have our voices heard you said that now earlier that we are our data is now deemed more important nowadays because we are uh whether they use our faces for these promos or because we are just a mine of make, of data. But what about our voice in these in moving towards decentralization if that is going to protect us more? What about our protection against leaders who may be using these platforms to uh pro uh to propagate their agendas that are harmful to freedom of expression and to human and digital rights? Well, it's a great question. No wonder you were reflecting for so long because the question is excellent. <laughs> Your thoughts are really, really profound here. So um, uh, that speaks to your uh, perception and understanding also, which I'm very grateful for. So thank you. Um, I'm I'm probably your worst guest who has no clear answers about anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not asking easy questions either. So it's not. Uh, if it were easy, I think we would all have a solution by now, right? I think we have problems with people with too clear answers. They're the people who, they're the people who cause the problems. The people who think they they know, and think everything's you know just uh, cut and dry. There's no dearth of such people, and that's uh, you're right about that. I think the fools have all the confidence, and the smart people are always talking. <laughs> but uh, but uh, as um, as you both started with, I am uh, talking to the choir, or we are all talking to each other because we're in the same community, and I'm quite grateful for the values the community has taught me about the collaboration, about um, uh, the emphasis on freedom and control on technology by you. And by you, I mean, it doesn't mean that I have to be the best possible 
developer, but my community can help me. And that is the beauty of the FAST community. And why I say that is important, Sarah, to your question, as you rightly said, we are stuck between a rock and a hard place, or maybe two rocks and many hard places. Um, unfortunately, um, our democracies, uh, our civilizations are old, but our democracies are new. Um, so uh, even for an ancient civilization like India, our democracy is only seven decades plus old. And we are still um, trying to learn a lot of these issues and a lot of these value systems. Our governments are very much in line with, um, historically, they've had a much easy time to control the narrative. It was much easy. Just call the phone companies. TV media or electronic media was mostly uh, easily controllable by states. But now how do you control when everybody's speaking, whatever they are speaking? The cacophony of the internet is a problem for uh, not only people like us who worry about disinformation and misinformation, where propaganda is thrown in by the governments, but it is the cacophony of democracy is a problem for governments as well. Because the desire to control is universal <laughs> and they would do anything to control that. But um, what they would like is the, only their propaganda to have a voice, not everyone else's. So my propaganda, you can call it propaganda because these days words don't mean anything. Um, these days words mean whatever somebody with a big microphone decides to call it. Um, Donald Trump wants to call any news uh, outlet or any news which is negative about him and his entire thing fake news, or he used to. I'm just glad that we don't hear about him as much. Uh, but uh, um, so uh, because, because our governments have such a way of looking at um, uh, where speaking itself is an act of courage and, um, and also an issue, whether sometimes people are arrested for Facebook posts or tweeting about certain things. Um, where internet is shut down, for example, in India, um, the notoriety of the highest number of shutdowns eight times already, and we are only in the early part of February, uh, 83 times last year. Uh, look at Myanmar, the first time democracy goes, uh, 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 not the first time actually, sorry, I mean, the first thing they do when the democracy goes to uh, die there. Uh, is to shut down internet and the access, uh, where in Myanmar, everybody's uh, internet means Facebook. Um, so uh, so what happens is um, there are there is something which the platforms have done. And having practiced law in two countries and lived in the US and as well as India, I also see the beauty of free speech and expression, First Amendment, the US First Amendment. So um, as problematic as it is, as, uh, but the commitment itself to free speech is something which is to aspire for to, some ex to a large extent. And why I say that is that, um, and this is not to say that Germany is wrong when they talk about laws which, talk, uh, which do have Nazi propaganda and Holocaust uh, issues and, um, uh, or Holocaust denial and make it a crime because they do have a history to justify certain such things. I think we in, the, in our part of the world, in Asia Pacific, in, um, in uh, Southeast Asia and other parts, we are still toying with this idea 
whether to use the ability of the American platforms to resist our governments, to run and get our rights and our civil liberties. And when we use that, then we are forced about these platforms as well. So interestingly, when Twitter decides to resist the government of India about, um, uh, or uh, they, there's a legal nuanced issue which they are fighting, um, there is a newspaper item in which there's an uh, somebody uh, is quoted without name. They wanted to be quoted anonymously. But uh, their um, description is that an, um, uh, the person is uh, an employee or an official of an Indian company. And the person says, what are they doing? Are they crazy? Because they're playing with fire. When government of India asks you to take something down, you take it down. Now, that is very telling of uh, what it means and why uh, governments in our part of the world want their own local companies to run all of these things. Because A, smaller companies not going to have the legal wherewithal to fight it. I'm not going to say that this example is the right example because there are legal nuances about whether Twitter should have done it this way or other this. But, I, but the fact that the person says that as and when government demands anything, you do it. That also tells you the resistance does not come from the corporate side for uh, in our countries. So we as citizens are stuck. So if we want to speak, we are like, oh my God, now we have to rely on these Americans who have their, these lofty American US First Amendment and who are also litigious and who have a ton of money and they will come fighting for all this in the name of free speech expression. Although I also think that's a charade because all they care about is our data. But still, at least we have a voice. At least we can speak on Facebook. At least we can say something on Twitter. But uh, then is uh, the other side, but we are stuck is uh, if because we want to resist all of that. But then we are stuck with, again, these platforms, their centralizations, their desire not to control, their desire not to take our issues seriously. Um, something which is colloquially called incorrectly revenge porn but it is actually sexual abuse material where people um, were in relationships, somebody shared certain nude pictures and they would just put up those pictures once the relationship ended. It became such a nightmare for those people to get those pictures taken down by platforms. It should be not such a complicated thing. For even child sexual abuse material, it's a difficult thing. If you see, there was a big shooting, the Sandy Hook shooting in the US. Children, kindergarten children were killed. And conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones and various other people, they put out these hard, these complete nut job films about um, a father whose son had actually died and he had started to fight that, why are you spreading this? My son actually died in these shootings. It's not a conspiracy theory. But they went after him and then there's an entire big saga. Um, NPR has done a few documentary and podcasts on that, which is very interesting to tell you how difficult it is to take down such material also from these platforms. So I think we people are just stuck between a hard, uh, uh, between, as I said, uh, a rock and a hard place. Our governments are not protecting us with rights and laws the way Europeans are protecting their citizens. Um, our governments want to control how we want to speak, what we want to speak. Um, and um, uh, then the American companies 
want to dangle this carrot in front of us to say, oh yeah, here's an interactive platform, come speak here. And we are the free speech wing of the free speech party, as Jack Dorsey used to say. And uh, uh, come, come, come here, but then uh, get naked. Because until you get naked and you give us everything, because all your data belong to us, um, then the, we are not going to do it. And we will also not do the right thing in terms of content moderation. We will just say, don't make us the arbiters of truth. But we will become arbiters of truth when we feel like. Because when Mr. Zuckerberg wo woke up one day, politicians could lie. Few days later, uh, uh, the bottom line doesn't look very good. Or maybe today I feel I woke up on the other side of the bed. Oh, they can't lie. So then we are stuck with all of that. So I do think that's why going back to the question earlier asked, that's why decentralization is important. I don't like a platform. I should be able to go to another platform. And interoperability is important. You are on Facebook. I am on some other platform. I don't have, I should be allowed to do all of that. And again, the, going back to the first point we started with, internet has companies haven't figured out what is the business model. There is one business model that is advertising and surveillance. We haven't figured out any other business model. We are ourselves trying to figure out what to do. We don't want to pay for 15 newspapers every day, but we would like that content because we've now gotten used to getting free content. So um, I think we are all trying to figure out what is the business model which gives us all the freedoms this has assured us or given us a taste of and uh, still can respect our rights. Um, I, I, I have always said internet had the great promise of uh, letting every brain on earth learn and educate ourselves. And what we are left with is um, uh, great memes uh, and uh, good animal videos, which Cat I love. videos. <laughs> and uh, amazing TikTok or YouTube tu tutorials about makeup. Uh, so, uh, or mixes with grandparents, which are amazing. But a lot of nonsense and a lot of dark things also. So here we are. And you mentioned like the corporations, the governments, they're not squarely on our side as they should be. And I will ask this uh, final question then. We internet users are stuck. How do we get unstuck? And another hard question for you because we like hard questions here. But I think you're the right person to ask because in 2015, you were named one of the Asia Society's 21 Young Leaders Building Asia's Future. So what future should we be working together uh, to build? Can you share with us a, a nice vision that we can all work toward? All I can do is um, uh, train and teach and work with young people um, who are um, uh, slowly doing certain small, tiny things towards people protection and the freedoms. I think the first thing we Asians have to do is feel completely confident in our abilities to do everything. I think we have the benefit of our ancient civilizations and our modern outlook. We adapt very, very quickly. We don't have legacy problems. I have never seen in India, oh, we can't adapt. You launch one app in India in five days, everybody's an expert. I think that's true for a lot of people who I talk, whether it is in Vietnam, whether it is in Myanmar, or a lot of people. Or um, even in China, you can see, like Clubhouse, how great it became and before it uh, met the great Chinese firewall. 
but and i think so so one of the great things is that because we are very adaptable and we have a great history of ancient civilizations but also our desire to be modern in our outlooks so we have to take great pride and great confidence in who we are we are not europeans we are not americans we are who we are and that's great and um, but the best part about us is that we have always tried to learn from others and amalgamate in our own unique way and uh, and we should continue to do that that's true for our great cuisine uh, whether you're eating thai food you're eating singaporean food you're eating chinese food indian food whatever that's true about our cuisine that's true about our cultures so confidence in ourselves but the ability to learn from everybody else like as i said i would love to have the european's way of doing privacy i would love to have us way of doing first amendment and letting everybody speak whatever they want to speak and the first time when i came to the us i knew that uh, i saw that there were these designated areas in some places where people were coming up with fantastic theories and i have no idea they would dress up in costumes and they would talk about complete nonsense from my point of view at that time and i was told these are first amendment designated areas they come here and do whatever and people look at them some people listen some people talk to them some people just go about their business um i have participated in a lot of protests myself in the us whether it was uh, to show solidarity with the black lives matter movement whether it was the um knitting of the pink uh, pussy hats after donald trump's elections with the women's movements and i i have loved the freedom to go and express oneself there so i would take that from the us i would take the privacy from the europeans but we have our own unique way um we are very talented people we have the world's great technologists here um so i do think um uh, people power in this context it means using technology in ways that protect us rather than threatening or harming us um signal which is a centralized service but is being operated for the good of its users it's an ex- excellent way to start cleaning up this environment so we can build some of these things but again it's centralized and that's why i like decentralization more the other thing i would say is that federated services reduce centralized power and increase autonomy and self development so every family benefits if a 12 year old is running a messaging infrastructure instead of increasing mr zuckerberg's power so we need to tell our kids this is what you can do you can take care of my entire family or my entire community's block about messaging why can't you do it the sec the second thing i would say after that is when we demand better products companies will have to force and deliver those better products we have to build it which is pro humanity and that it is not serving other people it is serving us the third thing which is much more difficult because um uh, demanding your rights from governments is a much harder thing because there is no power like the government power no matter how much they tell us about how great facebook and uh, twitter is there is no power like government's power is when it comes down it really comes down so that's why we have to use the democratic means to make our voices heard and fight and demand for our rights whether you use courts whether you use um uh, channels to speak whether you reach out and empowering each other i don't think we can turn against each other because if we don't unite there will be a problem which will come and break us um 
uh, government of India recently tried to issue a notification to say they want to uh, recruit cyber uh, content flagger volunteers. To me, that's like Gulag or East Germany or an authoritarian regime which says, oh, you are turning my friends and family into my spies that they will flag to you uh, confidentially that I said something which is wrong. I don't think that's that we can turn against each other. We have to, we have political opinions. I don't like many people's political opinions. I don't have to engage with them if I don't want to, because nobody can force me to get trolled. That's, I have no business respecting their free speech and right. But I, I can still, with really bad taste, holding my nose, say, yeah, but the person still has rights. And we have to band on that. We cannot be choosy about, oh, I like that person, so that person should have rights. Um, I, this person, um, I don't think they've said the right thing. Their religion is wrong. Their face is not what I like. I can't be choosy about this. So we all have to band together. We love young people, but we shouldn't lose the wisdom of the older generation also. I think we have to understand that the digital divide is now really, really uh, crucial in their lives. We are forcing everybody to go online, but we are not giving them any lessons. We are not teaching them. And just because they don't know how to use an app does not mean they don't have wisdom about life. And a lot of people who've had these fights for a very long time, whether it is the civil rights movements in the U.S., where a lot of the young people who are now part of the Black Lives Matter movement are going back and learning and reading and talking about James Baldwin and what they did and what Dr. King did, etc. Similarly, in our country, also in India, um, we have a, a very long history, of course, starting from our uh, uh, nationalist movement of independence, our independence movement. So we have a long history of uh, resisting power. And, um, and people who worked on uh, women's rights issues, on gender rights issues, on free speech and expression in the offline world can teach us a lot about how to do things in the online world. The complicated thing which Sarah has been talking about, which is a very profound uh, answer, uh, a question, and what Red earlier stated about also uh, how do we get out of this? And this, this is complicated. People will go to decentralized places. These are dark places. I think that's why it is really important to understand one thing about that technology is now part of everything we do in life. And young and old, old people can tell us a lot of things. And uh, we should not be uh, disrespectful uh, or not take into account their viewpoints just because they may not know the details of how an app works. But um, as people of um, in our current state, the way to get out of this swamp is uh, doing it together and um, with everybody. Um, and by actually being diverse, which is a thing which we don't have a problem with. People ask me a lot in the U.S., oh, um, do you have a problem with the representation of women in the STEM fields and engineering fields? I'm like, no, we only have a problem is that uh, our parents are hard on women and men both to study sciences. They just don't want us to do anything else. They want everyone to be a doctor or an engineer yeah. or a software developer. That's our problem. <laughs> Uh, but having said that, um, there is a lot of other disparities and other problems we have, um, who we recognize, people who may not fall in our binary ways of understanding, whether in terms of gender, sexuality, politics, or any way. Um, I think we all have to come together. It's a hard sell. Uh, it's a hard thing, but it's not an easy, uh, but it's, a, it's not a hard sell. 
and build our own pro IT humanity. And uh, I think we are the people who are uniquely placed to show the world that we can take all these approaches and do it better than you can do it. Wow. I want to be part of that future. And it brings a lot of positivity, especially nowadays. I think we all need that light and to not lose sight of the power we have to actually shape that future. Thank you very much, Mishi, for joining us on this podcast. We really appreciated your nuanced takes on these very difficult issues and also for the work that you're doing in working towards that future that you just spoke of. Well, my job was easier because uh, my hosts are so smart and also so thoughtful and uh, are already part of this work. So you made my job easier. It's a pleasure. And um, as I said, uh, there are so many people I'm relying on to do this work and I will rely on you and your listeners. Thank you so much, Mishi. That was a very thought-provoking conversation. Until now, I'm still in a very reflective mood on the different angles and nuances that Mishi shared. What really stuck with me was that we are actually both in agreement that there aren't uh, any easy answers really to any of the questions we ask and any of the questions I'm sure that are on your minds uh, on the different uh, events happening and the implications on digital rights. And... I don't think the answers are going to get any easier, especially in light of what is happening around the world. But I don't think that should stop us from seeking to answer these questions and to be part of the solution. What about you, Red? What are your takeaways? I agree with what you said, Sarah. We are stuck between a rock and a hard place, as uh, Mishi said. And despite that very dire picture that we painted in that episode, there is hope. And Mishi is not defeatist. Like she thinks that there are things we can do, and I 100% agree with that. We have talents in the Asia Pacific region that we can bring. Although we can use frameworks from the West, from the US, there's the First Amendment from Europe, there's the GDPR. Like we have people power. We have uh, the working together and taking the wisdom from our elders and making sure that voices are heard that aren't otherwise paid attention to. And we can just uh, have sympathy for everyone and not just like think of what uh, selfish needs that we have and think of the, the bigger picture all the time and uh, just trying to help each other. And I agree, like uh, it's what the authoritarians and the populists don't want to do. They don't want us to work together. But I think working together is the only way that we can get unstuck. So I, I quite enjoyed that conversation as well. And I hope you did too. Yes. And if you want to continue participating in this conversation, feel free to check out more episodes of the podcast at engagemedia.org slash podcast. And you can also listen to it anywhere you can listen to your podcasts. And stay tuned for more conversations in this in the coming on this in the coming year. And we look forward to trying to be part of that solution. Bye. Bye.